fellow Braptontonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure, the man they call the Blackbeard of motorcycling, Mr. Shaheen Alvandi! There's a lot more grays in my beard now than there used to be. Was a pirate reference. So I know, but like, yar, yar, I'll yar, matey, come ride the motorcycles with me. <laughs> we will go plunder all the burger places and eat their food. How quickly does your pirate go Jamaican? Because mine's pretty quick. Uh, I mean, I think I feel like you have two accents. Yar, matey, walk the plank and go get the bananas with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Go get the rum, man. Yar. <laughs> we be plundering and raping, man. Bumba clot. <laughs> Maximum love. Oh, man. I think here's the thing. I think that you and I are both in the in a um, state of like chronic pain for the last, I don't know how long now. All week. Yep. Uh, and we're losing our shit. What the F happened to you? I wish I had a cool story. Looks like you have duct tape on your leg. What I, is that? I mean, it's basically duct tape. I'm just doing whatever I can, I can to keep my right leg together. There's like a bandage with a bandage with a bandage on top of that, just to make sure. It's like a turducken of bandages. It is the turducken of bandages, exactly. And there's stitches underneath all that. So, oh, that's right. How many stitches did you get? Eleven. What did you do? Tell uh, everyone what you did. This, this, it's such a lame story, but I'll repeat it. So there I was, minding my own business. No, um, I was helping push motorcycles. So at the end of at the beginning and end of day, most dealerships, motorcycle dealerships, push some bikes in and out. You know, to open some space. Typically, it's service bikes, but whatever. So, as I was helping push some motorcycles in, uh, a little Scrambler 800 um, that had been previously wrecked was in my way. So, I just kind of squeezed past it, and I think I bumped it a little bit, and the kickstand on it was a little bit, uh, what's the technical word for that? I think fucky is the word I'm looking for here. And it fell. It just fell the fuck over next to me. I... Don't know the last time I dropped a motorcycle. I mean, aside from mine when I go off-roading, but like just a bike in a dealership. And so this bike falls and it kind of bumps me and I'm like, God damn it, that's annoying. Let me bend down and pick it up. I look down and it looked like there was a murder committed right at my feet. There was so much blood. And I was like, who the fuck is bleeding? And I look at my knee and there is like a three-inch gash. Like it. So basically what happened was when the bike fell, the, the clutch lever, which was already sheared, grabbed the edge of my knee and created this like three inch channel right on my kneecap. This is why clutch hovers have a ball end That's right. on the lever. That's for right. This exact reason. So you don't fuck your appendages up. Yeah. So this thing, I, like it barely touched me. I didn't feel it, but it caused me to have 11 stitches half an hour later. Uh, and God knows how much blood I fucking poured. So I, I think, you know, the moral of the story, and I've told everyone that my job, it's, it's interesting because you kind of get maybe a little bit complicit and comfortable in your surroundings. And I typically have pretty good, um, I don't know. I, I, I just Spatial awareness. Yeah, yeah spatial awareness, like, sure. Like, like Archer. <laughs> a lot like Archer. Mother! Um, <clears throat> so I think because I was so comfortable and I just bumped into the bike like I would any other motorcycle and expected to react a certain way, I didn't account for the fact that this was a fucked up motorcycle and just me touching it slightly make it fall over. And again... If that clutch lever was okay, I would have just had a little bruise on my knee and been like, oh, that was dumb. But it wasn't. It was this jagged little thing. And it, I mean, it dug it. Let me, let me, let me show you. What like a did. jagged little pill. I mean, like a jagged little pill, just kind of. Like a battling a s'more set song. <laughs> the thing of it is, 
A shout out to our, to our uh, ooh, fuff. Yeah. Shout out to our Canadian listeners with that one. Hey, look at that. Oh, look at that. Right? Yeah. Right? So then that's picture one. And then, and then 15 minutes later, stitches. Yeah. Your legs really hairy. I like super hairy. You're and, really and hairy. And these knees. jerks at Urgent Care didn't even bother shaving me because they were like, let's just clean up this fucking bloody mess you've made. And they put the bandage, and the bandages they use are fucking top tier bandages. Yeah. They hold on to everything. So 36 hours later, they're like, yeah, so in 36 hours, go ahead and take this bandage off and put a new one on there. No problem. Just imagine the tan line you're going to have. Fuck the tan line, man. I missed so much <laughs> hair, that thing coming up. I, whoa. It hurt more to remove the bandage than it did to get the damn stitches. Um, yeah, so anyways, they they uh, checked it out. They, they gave me a bunch of lidocaine, which if anyone that's listening to us hasn't had the pleasure of lidocaine, it hurts like hell when they first administer it, and then it just kills all feelings in that area. So it's a numbing agent. That they insert, I think they uh, hit me like six times in that area. And so <laughs> they put the lidocaine on there. They irrigate it, which is just washing it. And then they're like, cool, good news is that you didn't hit any muscle or tendon, so you should be okay, but it's going to hurt like hell. For our listeners that don't know, lidocaine is a lot like cocaine, but just less fun. Right. <laughs> it's like cocaine's less fun cousin. Less, Way less fun cousin. Who didn't... And they, who didn't hang out in the 80s and it burns like hell when they first put that needle in you it burns so much but then like the burn goes away 15 seconds later and you you're left with no feeling at all and so the reason i'm bringing this up is this so i have 11 <laughs> stitches they start from the sounds like a friday night for right? me <laughs> <laughs> they started from the outside of my knee so one two three all the way to the 11th stitch i start feeling the 11th one i'm like hmm and i made a face and the guy looked at me and goes are you feeling this I go, yeah, but the reason I didn't say anything is it hurts less than the lidocaine, so carry on. <laughs> like, it was gross feeling, but it was like, eh, it hurt less. So anyways, uh, I got to go in in four days and have them maybe remove the stitches. They said 10 days. No, nah, we can do that yourself. I got Dremel, man. Oh, God. I'll do it for yeah. you. <laughs> no, I'm hoping they hit me with some more lidocaine. I don't want to feel that shit coming out of me at all. I, got, looks... I got a lot of degrees. One of them's got to be medical. It's got to be, yeah. All the schools. One they, of them, yeah. Yeah, there's got to be I'm something. Probably, I'm an honorary doctor somewhere. Do you have tweezers? Hell yeah, I got tweezers. Do you have scissors? Hell yeah, I got You've scissors. You've got the right tools. We can yeah, take this thing. Yeah, this. Right. I got a sawzall, too. I mean, I'm not taking the leg above, off. Above the knee, below the knee? Uh, probably above the knee. Short it's sleeve, be long sleeve? Uh, short sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> I have to look at this. I look at it. So anyways, yeah, I've got a, I don't know, just a stupid amount of pain in my leg. Boy, when the lidocaine wore off at like 2.30 in the morning, I woke the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> the pain level was like 15 out of 10. It was epic. Jeez. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm walking around. I'm hobbling around. Uh, a dear fellow motorcyclist friend brought a cane over to the house. I have since adorned it with some stickers. And then Kevin at the shop put a bar end mirror on it. So I've got a CRG era <laughs> mirror on my cane. We got to get a Braptop sticker on uh, there. Definitely. Yeah, I, gotta, I, gotta, I got one down. I got one downstairs. Oh, hell yeah. Let's slap one on that. All thing. right. Um, yeah, I've got good. my safety third sticker on there. And my my boss, who's the president of the company that owns, or the vice president, of the company that owns our dealership, he came over and he saw it and he's like, uh, two things. One, you need a safety third sticker on your cane. Two, let's just burn that motorcycle. I'm like, no. He's like, no, no, no. I'm pissed off about it. That, bur- that bike's got to go. I'm like, I wish I had your kind of money. That said, let's just burn a Ducati Scrambler. But we're not going to burn it. Instead, we're going to fix it and then sell it and call it the manager special. So what does our friend Workers Comp have to say about this? Our friend Workers Comp said, eh, what did this shit cost you? Yeah, I feel like... 
So far, it's cost me forty dollars in in copay. I feel like it. Uh, it probably ruined your designer jeans. Ooh. You've probably got some pain and suffering. You're probably losing some sleep so at I, night. I mean, yes. To that Step last into one. the legal offices of Jensen, Jensen, and Coda. Ooh, Coda, what do you got to say about this? Coda doesn't care. She sniffed my leg a couple times. Like, hey, you seem like you're injured. Can I kill you? <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us are licensed to practice law in Oregon, but it's okay. <laughs> fine don't worry about yeah, it yeah so that's been my uh my epic adventure in motorcycling i haven't ridden my motorcycle in five goddamn days and i'm starting to feel the mental anguish of it i don't like that it's been nice weather oh god it's dang been, it it's, it's been, been beautiful weather and yeah. i meant to i was supposed to go on a long ride last weekend and this happened on friday so i was like cool i guess i'll see my bike whenever the fuck i can bend my knee again and that's the that's the part i'm not looking forward to because once the stitches come out then i have to start working on moving the stiff knee around and I'm here to tell you, this shit hurts. Even though it didn't hit a tendon or anything like that, the blunt force trauma of it, I'm feeling every inch of that fucking knee. Yeah. Sucks. Send me some good vibes and some good videos to watch. I've been playing a lot of video games. Again. <laughs> it's just like, my go-to. How is that? How is that different from normal? Uh, you know, it's funny. Somebody was like, are you playing video games just to make time go away? I'm like, you know, I am, but I'm not happy about it because usually I can like, be like, I am choosing to be lazy today and play video games. Now it's like, I have to fucking be lazy. Yeah. Damn it. I know that, I know that exact feeling. It's the worst. Uh, you got surgery coming up. I have surgery tomorrow. I have surgery in less than 24 hours. Um, you look very clean. I've been clean. I've been cleaning with the special soap. Yep. You got the special soap on you. Yeah. What time is surgery? I got to be there at 10 in the morning. What? That's I don't, late. I don't know when they're actually going to do the thing probably I mean, like eight at night yeah i mean who knows i really just don't know man i always thought i'd have to show up at like super stupid early every time i've had to do any kind of procedure it's like be here at 5 30 in the morning like why no one is even there yet no yeah, doctor's just, not there yeah do some paperwork no i don't <laughs> yeah no um stoked to get it done can't wait i'm tired of this nonsense yeah i'm excited for you it's uh sorry it didn't happen fucking three months three ago. months ago <laughs> the thought crossed my mind but that's okay you know, people can make mistakes. You That's can, why it's called a practice, Jensen. We're just practicing You're here. Just practicing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I'll be stoked for that and uh, get back to one piece. Nice. I, uh, I tweaked my back moving the Kramer around, so I've been suffering with that all week. So it's been a lot of time on my back, but... <laughs> You know what? Like starting next week, it's a whole new ball game. We're just falling apart here, yeah, man. We're just we're like we're we're at the point where they have to put us together with like sticks and stones now. I'm legitimately going to try and edit this podcast tonight because I know I'm going to be a drugged oh, out done. shit yeah. show for the next few days. <laughs> I kinda, and I apologize in advance for anything I say online. I do not mean those compliments. Those are not. Oh, that wait, is, are, those are, are the a, drugs talking. Are That's you a not nice drugged up person? Oh yeah. Oh. Man. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Get some booty calls from you later on. <laughs> what are you doing? You look good in those shorts. <laughs> I feel great. Come on over. Man. Let's watch Netflix and chill. Hey, you want to you wanna hug? I feel like hugging someone. I don't know. They have to install something called a pain pump, so that's probably going to get interesting. What the fuck's a pain pump? I don't know. It doesn't sound good, though. Wait, is it like a, like a button you press and it just gives you... Mm, no, I think it's like a time release... In? Time release thing for probably morphine so that'll be good all right what, what's the over under on you losing the arm and having to get a robotic arm oh probably 50 50 oh shit okay this is exciting i mean i'm on kaiser so it's not gonna be like a good robotic arm i mean 
you know, but, it's like you the know. Toyota Corolla of robotic arms. It'll yeah. work. Honda Accord. All right, Honda Accord. You know, most popular model. Did I say Toyota, Toyota Accord? No, you said Toyota Corolla. Camry. Oh, okay. Which, <laughs> is, which, Toyota which is right in the running. Potato, potato. You know, yeah, go yeah. on. <laughs> so, anyways, motorcycles. There's some news. Aprilia Turag 660, sir. Give me your thoughts. Um, it's not we're like, what we're I like th- 10 minutes into the show. Give me your thoughts. Oh boy. My thoughts. Well, I'm not drugged up yet. So let me go back to this thing that I watched, uh, this, this video that puts it together. You mean the, the rents? We still haven't really seen it. Not really. This is just a, they, the thing of it is the there was the like renders. two other renders, renditions or designs that we had seen prior to this that looked wholly different than this. There was like a more dirt focused one. And then there wasn't this, uh, I think far as looks are concerned it's you know it looks like it's going right after the 10 ra 700 um you know looking at components just based on this rendering it looks like it's got some you know some basic uh breaks it's got some it's got some price point things going on definitely and it also has some upmarket things going on and that's going to make it very interesting come pricing do you do you have any feelings on price I heard rumors of eleven five to twelve. Okay, and I hope that's Aprilia sandbagging, and it's really going to be eleven. I think at eleven, mm-hmm. this bike is spot on. Yep, you got the T seven at ten. You've got the KTM eight ninety base model at thirteen one, thirteen two, something like that. And I feel like, I mean, this has got fully adjustable suspension. Yep. It's got a basic traction control, ABS, cruise control. APRC thing. Uh, doesn't have, well, it doesn't have the full APRC because it doesn't have an IMU. At least, at least we've seen no information that it does. Right. And we kind of fell for that with the, with the Tuono, and I think they're playing the same game. Um, Do you really think it's going to weigh 412 pounds? No, that's the dry weight. Uh-huh. I think it's going to tip scales around 450, 460, which is right there with the Yamaha Tenere. Yep. So uh, it's a, it's it's a, a, a light a, middleweight. Yes, yeah, right where it needs to be. It's right there with the KTM 890 Adventure. It's right there with the Yamaha Tenere 700. Um, I think, I think, power wise, it's right there with the with the Yamaha. Um, is the Yamaha 70 plus horses? Yamaha 70, yeah. So this is like 10 more horses. So got a little basically. more horse. They got about the same amount of torque. Do we think that a little bit of tinkering will make this in the 90 horsepower range, like the its brethren? I mean, if you want to put a new cam on it. But okay. you're going to give that up from the low end. Because what they did is they took that motor, which was not super peaky, but but peaky. Right. Adjusted the cam profiles to move that that torque curve a little bit lower in the power range. So to give it some good low end, mid-range torque in the process, it lose about 20 horsepower on top. But I don't think you're going to miss it. No. I mean, honestly, at 80 horsepower, that's plenty. Yeah. For its Especially in this segment. Yeah. I'm 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 super excited about the bike. I it's funny because my initial thought was no, nah, I don't like the way it looks. But in that segment, there is I don't think there's any such thing as a quote unquote pretty motorcycle. Um, I think it's unique. I like the idea of how the headlight looks. I like you know. Do you do you not think the Yamaha is pretty? No, I think it's cool looking. I don't think it's pretty. Okay, like they're utilitarian. I don't think like my Multistrada. I don't think it's pretty. I think it's. You know, kind of like I think it's the prettiest of them all. But don't, it's, let, don't let Claudio hear you say that. What's that? Don't let Claudio hear you say that. Well, I think even Claudio would maybe agree. It's more utility. I mean, it's not like like a Panigale V4S. That's pretty. 
But a Multistrada is like just this like SUV of a motorcycle. I don't think they're meant to be pretty. I think they're meant to look tough and usable. Um, and this thing definitely looks super utilitarian. Don't worry about that. What is that noise? Do I have to be worried? That noise? Don't worry about that is noise. Is that your pain blocker already in? That's the... It's the party wagon. Ooh, the party's <laughs> going to stop. Go the party wagon Ooh. is here. Um, super excited about its good ground clearance and the 21-inch front wheel. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be a real contender in the middleweight sub $13,000 motorcycle. I agree with you. If this was an $11,000 bike, fucking home run. But even at 11, 5 to 12, it's still pretty competitive for where it's at because it has enough. I mean, again, based on just these renderings that we're looking at, it has enough upscale stuff on there where I could see there being a 1500 or so Delta between it and the Yamaha that has literally nothing. Like yeah, no, especially when the Yamaha doesn't have the fully adjustable suspension. Right. Doesn't have yeah. suspension, doesn't have the pretty dash, doesn't have all the electronic doodads on it. So I think that this is for where it's at and what I typically call, you know, an upscale, you know, luxury European market. It's definitely a great, uh, great addition to the segment. Would like to see it in person to see, you know, really what it can do and, you know, what kind of aftermarket uh, goodies that they're going to have for it. Because, you know, people that buy these bikes are all about farkling them to go on that epic ride from USA to Mongolia. Um, and you ride the whole way. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> um, 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 I like I, I like the way the Yamaha looks. I think Yamaha nailed that rally raid replica mm -hmm. look really well. Yeah. And that helps kind of add to the... Um, I was going to say authenticity. I don't know if there really is, is an authenticity that's going on with it, but it adds to like the, the dirt cred mm -hmm. uh, that that bike is trying to go after it, and that seemed really smart. Aprilia's design kind of has that, but it's also very modern, and I, I, I could see some dirt guys being like, it looks too fancy or something. Because there is something about like ADV bikes having to look ugly, otherwise they have the perception of being fragile. I mean, really, the only part of this that looks modern is the headlight cluster. The headlight cluster, which yeah. I, but it's still super minimal. It's very yeah. small. Yeah. I like it. I actually like the way this, the more I look at the front end of this, the more I like it. But I agree with you. I think the Tenere 700 is super cool looking. It really, they they nailed it, I think, for for that style. In fact, the only thing I wish I would, uh, I would see different about this Touareg, anyway, on the rendering is the front fender. I wish I had a more dirt biased front fender as opposed to, because these things, if you ever ride in the mud, they get packed so quick. Yeah. And so I really wonder if this is just like one option and then maybe there'll be another one. I'll be kind of curious to see maybe if they offer something like that in the parts catalog. I'm kind of curious to see mm -hmm. what Aprilia offers in the aftermarket category, because this is kind of a new territory for yeah. them. The, uh, Oh, what was the bike they had before? The Kappa Nord never really was an adventure bike. Oh, uh, yeah. So they was, don't really. It's like a touring bike that just happens to have a 19 inch front wheel on it. Yeah. Didn't have much ground clearance. Nice bike. I've like never no rode one. Clears. I think I think it had like the ground clearance of a Honda Goldwing. It had none. Yeah. No, literally <laughs> none. Fun bike. Yeah, you're right. Great, great on road bike. Great bike. Just don't go off road with it. Ever. Ever. For any reason. It's really heavy too, though. Super heavy. Um, yeah. Anyways, first impressions, I give it two thumbs up. I like it a lot. I, you know, I noticed the things like the, like the lower spec brakes on this rendering. Mm -hmm. and, um, I do appreciate that the wheels look like, at least in this rendering, they're going to be tubeless. 
the spokes go to mm -hmm. the outside like they do on a BMW or mm -hmm. a Ducati. Um, I, I just like the minimalist look of it. It looks like I, I'm having a hard time seeing where the subframe, if the subframe is bolted onto the regular frame or what the story there is, but a lot of these companies are doing that so that if you somehow crash it and wreck it, you can just replace a couple of hundred dollar part as opposed to having the total of the bike. Yeah, I think if you watch the video when it comes together, you see that the subframe's a separate yeah. part. I like this. I'm 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 super excited about it. I like that there is a proper contender in that segment because up until this bike, you were basically um, either KTM or Yamaha for a you know middle slash lightweight adventure bike that can do stuff. If this thing's gonna have cruise control and all that stuff on there, yep. boy, that's next level, right? It's got cruise control. It's got engine brake control. It's got uh, four riding modes. Two are customizable. Traction control, ABS, ABS where you can have it um, front wheel only. Wow. Uh, I don't know if it's cornering ABS or not. Um, and I'm missing something. Let me let me, let me look at what, what the hell did I write? I think I covered it. Yeah. So I All think that for 12 grand is just not a bad deal. I like it better to 11.5. I like it better at 11. Yeah, at 11, that's super duper tasty. But the hard thing is, is they're going to have to figure out currency. Because yeah. currency is kind of crazy right now. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it needs to be in a specific spot to compete with certain motorcycles. And this looks like it's going right after that Tenere's balls. And if they can make it where it's only like a thousand or so more than the Tenere. Yeah. Especially now changer. that I think there's been enough Tenere's in the wild that people are like, They've, they've gotten over that sticker shock of 99.99. Right. And they realize, like, yeah, it's not, it's 10 grand, but everyone needs to do X, Y, and Z to really make it work. Yeah, like, it's basically an upscale. <laughs> Someone's going to yell at me, I'm sure. To me, it's like an upspec KLR. Like, it's a lighter, more cool looking KLR. It doesn't have that. It, like, what does it have that the KLR does, doesn't have? A soul. Eh, that's still. A, <laughs> eh. I guess maybe a little more, but like far as electronics uh, or I goodies, think it's, I think it's, I think I would rather ride. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what the, the Tenere has. I would rather ride a Tenere 700 on the highway for five hours than a KLR 650. Right. A KLR 650 is like I a agree. dirt bike with a big frame. The KLR 650 in my mind, the only, I was having this conversation with someone else recently because there's the KTM 690 Enduro that's kind of in this space and it's yes. kind of like like the odd stepchild and and the riding's on the wall for the 690 platform to go away at some point probably the only bike that competes with the KTM 690 Enduro is a KLR 650 and they are both basically dirt bikes with a slightly larger fairing i would still ride the KTM over the KLR oh fuck yeah i would <laughs> fuck yeah I way would. more personality it's a way better bike Sorry, Kawasaki owners, but it, but you know, but I mean, you still see, I mean, KLRs get sold left and right. It's like the number one choice for the how adventurer many, on a budget. How many new KLRs get sold though? That'll be interesting. I, I mean, feel like got, every they KLR sold at some point, right? Cause you see them on the road, you see all these used ones. They were new at some point. Yeah, they were new, but I feel like there's just like a, there's like a certain population of KLRs <laughs> out there and they're just constantly <laughs> churning through a population of used bike riders. Like every KLR has probably had 10 owners at this point. I would love to know where the majority of KLRs get sold. I'm actually surprised I don't see that many of them here in the Pacific Northwest. You see a lot more KTMs. You see a lot more, mm -hmm. you know, 
huskies and like you're we're very eurobike centric here in the in the pacific northwest well that's because the pacific northwest is really struggling with its identity where we try to be kind of like blue collar <laughs> and like drinking we drink beer and you know like we're down to earth where we're mainly men but we're still kind of we're still kind of bougie on the inside so it's like yeah i only drink beer but i drink craft beer we're not I, I i drive i ride dirt bikes but only european ones yeah that's right <laughs> I don't like you because you drive an $80,000 Maserati, but my adventure van, I've got 150 grand yeah. into. <laughs> Fuck your Maserati. Get out of my Sprinter yeah. swig. Yeah, you got these scum. <laughs> Hold on. I got to park my Sprinter that I dumped 90,000 into. Oh, man. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, like, this is the perfect area for a KLR. Yeah. All the imperfect great. roads, all the, all the places you could possibly ever want to go right on the you know, on gravel or dirt or whatever and go explore and camp overnight. I, I really expect to see so many more of those. What a great bargain for that kind of adventure. Yeah. Oh, I really, I, I wish, I wish somebody from Kawasaki would let us know where are most of the USA spec KLR so I, I don't think they know. <laughs> even uh, they're like, it's, even it's they're like we, we want to know. It's too. a mystery. It's a mystery to them. We make them and then they sell at some point and then they're used 10 years later. It's fascinating. The KLR uh, dilemma. For every KLR that's sold, Kawasaki has to kill three kittens. So many dead kittens. <laughs> it's just, just bags by the river. Just so many. People stop buying KLRs if you love the kittens. Um, <laughs> that's horrible. That's horrible. That's <laughs> that's the medicine talking. And this is this is the medicine before you even have the medicine. Um, so yeah, uh, my first thoughts. I think it's an interesting looking bike. I I the more I look at it, the more I like the way it looks. I'm super excited about its um alleged technical abilities and it's i'm very promising super yeah. promising so i'm really really looking forward to seeing this beast in the flesh do we have an idea of when we know it's like 2022 but like are we talking first part of the year second part of the year i mean i think a little bit all bets are off when it comes to covid and supply chains and production right the fact that they're teasing it now giving us uh, a render giving us some information i saw that they had cycle world out to do a marketing piece i mean a review on the bike um so they're doing some pr stuff to to get the whistle wetted so i would i would think um we would see this early, early 2022. Could we see it late 2021? Mm. I don't know. I think honestly, they're going to, I think they're going to launch this at ICMA. I think that's, that's where we'll get our proper unveiling. I think you're right. And then we'll see it early February, March next year. Do you think anybody else has something like this up their sleeve that they haven't told anyone yet that we're going to see it in ICMA? That's a good question. Well, let's run through the brands. Who would, who would be in this space? Ugh, I mean, I know who I want to see do this, but. I think we'll see the Husky Norden 901 finally, finally. That's one I'm super finally. excited about. That's probably going to be like a that bike is so late. Fifteen to eighteen thousand dollar motorcycle. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it's got to take the up spec route of the KTM model. So right, you know, tack on another grand at least fourteen fourteen thousand at least. God, I think it's more than that, but yeah, yeah, probably right. Um, what's interesting is KTM's coming out with a 990 version oh. of their parallel twin. Oh, which is just bringing the 990 name back. Yeah, which is not, isn't that so funny? That's kind of like where they started with That's the, the V twin nonsense. God, I hope it looks the same, like with that wedge front end on it and everything. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I, don't, I think they're just going to bump the, the displacement. I mean, this is part of what's happening with the second half of Euro 5 is starting to hit. So we're going to start seeing some of this nonsense. 
continue and and truthfully like we're probably going to have to recalibrate our understanding of markets based on displacement because you know, like we sit here and we talk about middleweight middleweight adventure bikes right what is that maybe 600 in the U- cc's in the US? to 900 cc twins right maybe and then right. 650 singles but eh. like you and i have that debate about the Africa twin. Right. Is that a middleweight or not? And if you look at the spec sheet, it kind of is. Right. But if you look at the displacement, it's kind of not. But that's the thing. Because with Euro 5B and and what will come with Euro 6 and, and stuff, the way a lot of manufacturers are trying to maintain the expectations and the spec sheet for consumers is through displacement increases. Hmm. So, you know, what would have been a 500cc twin five years ago is going to be like a thousand cc twin in like a year or two and they're going to make you know the same horsepower they're both going to make like 80 horsepower or whatever it is um so that's kind of where ktm's coming with this 990 like i don't think they're going to change too much bike wise but they're just going to pump another 100 cc's into it to make sure they can still hit that what do they quote the the 890 making like 110 120 depends if it's in the duke or the adventure right um to hit those numbers so that'll be interesting it's it's kind of fun to watch this segment grow i I always wonder what's the next segment what's the next one that's going to start growing you know where people start noticing it and want to have something to do with it i I think this adventure segment still has quite a bit of time left to it i think more people are starting to realize the i guess the value of having a vehicle that can do everything it's i always liken it to the suv uh craze that sort of started in the you know mid late 90s it's like oh yeah you can have this one vehicle that does all the things and so suddenly in the motorcycle world it's like oh i can have a motorcycle that can ride sporty it can go off-road i can go commuting with it i can go cross-country with it everything i'm gonna steal a comment from someone else you know the the thousand cc 1200 cc adventure category hit like peak adventure bike when harley davidson came out with a model <laughs> true. you know like literally and we you know we were talking about last last time with the tiger 1200 and right and all the models that are there. like every brand now has something in that space then i might not all be good i'm looking at you yamaha super tenere that thing's that thing's been around a minute it's been around for that was the first press launch i ever went to that's how long it's been around that's amazing. It's such an innately Japanese um, ideology behind m- manufacturing these things. They're like, we made it. It's good. We're okay. not going to touch it for a while. You know, to, to just hit back to what we talked about last episode, I literally just added it like the other day. So it's like fresh in my <laughs> it's mind. Still fresh in your mind. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were talking about how the European brands struggle to understand like the American market. And like, I, I think the Super Tenere is that example with the Japanese brands. Right. It's like, hey, we made an adventure bike. And you're like, did you? Did you know? Did you, did you make an adventure bike? I mean, I don't know. Which is interesting because they were kind of ahead of the curve, but they didn't make it interesting or exciting enough for it to take off like crazy. It was kind of heavy. It's kind of a pig to ride. It's still, I mean, it's it's rock solid. It's got shaft drive. It's got it's got a couple of things to it, but it's not like, a bad bike. It's not a bad bike at all. But neither is a Triumph uh, Tiger twelve hundred. Yet the two of them sort of remain the unspoken ones, right? Nobody really goes crazy over those things there's probably like 10 dudes who ride them and they have their own little club i come back to because it was not a superlative machine at that that point in time you had multi strata 1200s were kind of in the space or maybe Mm -hmm. i'm not quite sure if they were out yet 
but that was they were but they were like the 2010 to 2000 that's percolating um and it was like a gs and you're like does it do anything that a gs does but better no no it's just cheaper it was just cheaper it looked cool i kind of yeah. like the way it looked yeah sounded good with an exhaust yeah and so you're like yeah, it never took <laughs> off it never really did it didn't it didn't redefine the space until Honestly, it was like when the Honda brought the Africa Twin name to the U.S. with that, you know, the original 1000. Yeah. Everybody's like, whoa. And I remember looking at it going, that's a cool bike, but the Tenere has been around forever. What's what's the magic here? And it was like Honda was like, well, let's make it more gnarly looking. Let's make it look like it can do a lot more. Gnarlier, and they put a 21-inch on it, and it can actually go off-road, right. and they had a DCT. Like, there, it did some things. You're like, that, that is a better bike. That is the yeah. that, When the Africa Twin 1000 came out, that was the best or call it full-size adventure bike for off-road, period. Yeah. Period. Uh, I still would it probably take one, still is. I still would take one over a BMW. To go off-road? To do just about anything. Yes. In the U.S. If I'm going, like, this is that same thing. If I'm going to go to Europe or I'm going to go do that shit in the Alps, mm-hmm. I want all the, the creature comforts that a BMW has. Oh, great. I rode the I rode the Africa Twin today to go to lunch. I was going to say, it's got everything on it. one that you're riding. I, yeah, mine's got the whole, the whole rigmarole. Yeah. But BMW's is better. <laughs> it's like, like, they've like been doing, not, it's like they've been doing it longer. It's not like I'm playing with an abacus over there. Like, like well, the BMW's got like, a, <laughs> you know, a Commodore 64 thing going right. on. But it's, it is that kind of like eh, fit and finish polish interface design. BMW is better. I guess. I just feel like that. I okay. mean, Hondas are historically very over-engineered machines. I think that thing's going to last forever. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's the difference between America and Europe. Like in America, we actually take adventure bikes off-road. Right. Whereas in Europe, it's really just the new sport tour. And that's where I think I make that distinction. That's where it's fair. like I would rather be on-road with a GS than an Africa Twin, and I'd rather be off-road with an Africa Twin than a GS, and I have to, if I have to make the compromise, I'm probably taking an Africa Twin. Yeah. Just because price, performance, features, whatever, it's it's the better package. But <clears throat> that's not everyone, and that's not every market. That's true. It's not. Uh, I got lost on something I was going to say, and I don't know how we got down the rabbit hole. <laughs> This is why we're because that's what we do. This is why we're professionals. This is, we, we are super pro. Uh, between my knee and your shoulder, we're almost one whole person. Well, we were talking about surprises from other brands coming yes. into the middleweight market. Yes. Well, we were going to go down the the list of companies that would make. I mean, I I think I think Honda with the Transalp. If that if that really happens, uh, they, they kind been, of teased it, didn't they? There's been a lot. They've never had an official teaser, but we've seen a lot of hints and rumors and patents and trademarks. Man, if they did like a 650 or 700, yeah, that would be that would be killer. If Honda stepped into this exact same segment, I could see that happening, and making another like ten thousand ish dollar, yes, offering. Yes. Oh, that would be that would be tasty. I think that would be. That is probably the most likely uh, surprise Eichma thing because the timing's kind of right. There's enough rumor there that, that that could be it. It right. could also be another year out, but it could happen. And and they have the the space in their lineup for it. Like it kind of begs for it. Like yeah. I don't know why Honda doesn't have a CRF four fifty rally and a Transalp eight hundred. Right. Seven hundred. 
something. Um, those those two bikes need to exist in that company's lineup. I would like to see if Welcome I mean, to my I guess, TED talk. I guess, yeah, right. I think I guess Kawasaki's is the KLR. You know what? Kawasaki's so lost in this market. Yeah, they, because they think the, so KL, the KLR is the end all be all to this segment. The KLR, they, they are the KLR and the Versus, and I would say neither of them are what the modern adventure bike rider is looking for. I mean, if they take a Versus and kind of turn up the dial a little bit on it, it would probably be a little bit better. But it would it would put you it would in have a it would put it in the V Strom. Yeah, it would put it exactly in the V Strom segments because they have the Versus 650 and the 1000, right? Yeah, but the 1000s like it's like cast wheels. Like I, I do not consider the Versus an adventure bike. I think the Versus and that will get me in trouble with some with some circles, but. Eh. I think those circles even know better because it's got uh, the Versys 1000 is basically the European touring bike is what that is. Yeah, no, I think that's a bike that was built. And you look at, look at the Versys. Like right now we only sell the Versys LT in the U S mm-hmm. it's an $18,000 motorcycle cast wheels. It looks like a, a Ninja 1000. It's a how many thousand dollar motorcycle? 18 grand and change. It's wow. uh, 18 two. dude. I would have thought that's a $13,000 bike. And it, and it, but it looks like a ninja with taller suspension. Yeah, I mean it's, it's kind it of is. more like a Multistrada, like like, like the, the Multistrada twelve hundred. Listen, I appreciate you saying that, but to me that looks like the first gen Multistrada, but somehow a little bit uglier. It, it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. It's not, and it's not a serious adventure bike. It's, no. it's one of the things. It's not. No. Sorry for partying. Nope. I'm gonna. I think the six fifty is more adventure bike than this thing. I think the 650 is a dirt bike with a big fairing, which yeah, for some riders is what they want. Well, I mean, aren't all adventure bikes just dirt bikes with big fairings on them? Essentially? No, they're not. No, you don't think so? Is yours? I like to pretend like it is sometimes. Okay, but it's not. <laughs> you know, even even a KTM 1290 is not. It's a very different machine, especially in that 1200,000 cc category. Yeah, no, in that, in that category is definitely. My Africa Twin's not a dirt bike with a big fairing. It's uh, something Honda different. wants you to believe it is. It's something different. It it. Uh, that's where I see the distinction between adventure bike and dirt bike. We we talked about this on the on the Spectrum show. Was that 57, 67, 67? That kind of Your right. memory's far better than mine. I don't know. Um, I just because it's like I've referenced it like four times now. Let me look that shit up. Let me look it up. Yeah, sixty-seven. Um, you know, you you can go from small displacement dirt bike all the way to like super bike on like this like single continuum, right? So the tipping point for me between dirt bike and adventure bike is literally that nugget that the KLR 650 and the KTM 690 Enduro reside in. They're they're like the they're the breaking point. They're there. the last dirt bikes, <laughs> and then you tip over into the KTM 890, the Yamaha 700. They start going more towards road biased at that point. Yeah, I mean you can throw like it, it starts getting like. Like the spectrum starts becoming more like a Y, mm-hmm. and there's like a more off road versus more on road. Right. So you have like Yamaha Tenere 700 going up kind of one direction, and then off the other offshoots like 
V-Strom 650. I was going to say the, the Versys. <laughs> the, the Versys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Versys would be a great yeah. example. They're the two very opposites of that um, spectrum. Yeah. So, I mean, and then and then that's where, like, the adventure bike category gets really interesting because you it's like, well, how much on-road, how much off-road, how much features, how much bare bones? Like, do you want to be able to repair it with, like, toothpaste and galoshes? <laughs> or do you want, like, you know, to bring your laptop with you? Question for you. Where does the Ural fit in all this? The Ural fits in... Um, in the Mariana Trench, which is where all Urals should go. <laughs> we should just be using them purely as anchors for boats. You just angered probably like three listeners. Um, Everyone that I know that Shout is Shout out to our listeners who ride Urals. If you do, please uh, send us a picture of it. <laughs> send us a picture of your broken. at gmail.com. Send us a picture of you working on your broken down Ural because I know you have one. I mean, every Ural owner has that. They have that picture at the dealership. Probably. I love when you talk to a Ural owner and they're like, well, once you like completely rebuild the bike from the ground up, it's a really reliable machine. And you go like, uh-huh. I don't know if any Ural owner will look you in the eyes and go, this is a completely reliable machine. No, they're death traps. No, they know it. It's part of the appeal, I think. It's like being a... No, it's. I was going to say it's like, it's like being a something else owner, but it's not. It's like being a Ural owner. It is a very unique experience in its own. How do you know someone rides a Ural? They tell you. They tell you. They have the it, it is the CrossFit of motorcycling. <laughs> it's the vegan of motorcycles. It's just, it's a, it's a horrible idea. You're going to get over it eventually when you're broken down on the side of the road. <laughs> it's your fourth or fifth vehicle that you ride once in a while. You can put someone or something you love on the sidecar part of it and just put, put around. I have a neighbor across the street who has a Ural. Really? Takes his daughter for rides on it. I just take him aside and be like, listen. Do you love your daughter? <laughs> do you, do you want her to die in this? The thing this, goes this Russian death trap, that, this Soviet death trap from World War II. That's a German Nazi knockoff. Even the Russians, I think, every time they sell one, they're like, "We can't believe people buy these." Just keep making money, I guess. And I dare you to go to a Euro dealership and ask for a discount. They will laugh you out of that place. It's intense. I can't imagine what it's like to be a Euro dealer. Just count the money. You're like the used car salesman of like, motorcycle. Hey, do you dealers. want your engine to be painted black? Yeah, that's a thousand dollar option. What? Okay. Like, like you know you're gonna sell them something that's just gonna fall apart. That's why you have a well-staffed service department. It should come with like a blowtorch and scrap metal. I bet someone already has done this, but I feel like the smartest thing to do is create a YouTube account that's just on how to work on your Ural parts. Like YouTube Academy, basically, for Ural. I guarantee that exists. That's Wait, probably, so you never answered my question. Where do you probably, think the Ural uh, really, really exists in this adventure bike thing? Because it is a two-wheel drive adventure motorcycle, essentially. Um, Comes with a shovel, Jen- Jensen. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> what is more adventurous than having a fuck. shovel when you have to take a shit in the woods? That's like right up there with like... People, people that have like forerunners like mine with high lift jacks that look pristine. Yeah, don't. I don't want to see that shit just pristine. Pristine. I better see some scratch marks from every tree you've mm-hmm. ever hit. Just like, all right, whatever. Um, you know, like I could be really shitty and be like, the girl's not an adventure bike. The, the two wheel drive is a bit of a novelty. It's interesting. You can load up the side of the Ural. Um, I do think because it's so wide, it is limited to where you can go. Yeah, I think forest service roads are basically your that's about it you're going down gravel roads i mean i don't think i want to go more than that anyways but no, i could, I could see the i could see the the 
romance of having okay. your own. No, 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 no. I've changed my mind. I'm changing my mind. I'm back. I'm pulling the parachute. I'm getting out of this. Oh, you're getting out? Of it? You're done not, with it already? Not an adventure bike. Man, you were you were going there. You you no, softened no, no, no. up a little bit. I saw what was coming down the turn, and I was just like, no, 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 no. This is how you crash a year-old in the desert and leave it there forever. Um, because it's not it it the Ural comes from a decade and point in time when every motorcycle is an adventure motorcycle. That's shame. right, Harley Davidson. You guys started the adventure segment. That's literally what it is. That's literally <laughs> what it is because it's the fucking 1940s. It's yeah. post World War II. It's oh, yeah. 1950, 1940. It's that post World War II where like. Yeah, there were doing, no super highways yet. Like, there was, yeah, we every bike was a dirt bike because not all the roads were made out of asphalt. Right. Every car was an overland rig back then, bro. Yeah. So like yeah, as a Ural like an adventure bike, you're like, yeah, I mean, because like motorcycles back then kind of had to be able to kind of do all things. Right. But you go and you look at a Ural, I don't know what the suspension travel is off the top of my head, but <laughs> not a lot. It's got Brembo's on it now. I Jensen. would not want to go on like a real dirt road on one for any extended period of time. I think it would eventually rattle itself loose. I think I think it's it's in a category of its own that's just called heritage hipster bullshit. It's right up there with a Bonneville. Wait a minute. Yeah, but Bonneville's have become modern at this point. They just look old. Yeah, they're fake carburetors. Yeah. But same idea. Carburetors. Same. Just I. It's just hipster masturbatory things to right, put well, in your garage. Well, well and, I've got and your ten years, And ten years from now, we're not going to be talking about. That. You don't think so? No. 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 These fuckers have been around since 1945. People. Are still How long have they been around the U.S. <laughs> selling motorcycles? Seriously. That's true. I actually don't know the answer. Flash that in the pan. Um. Well. Well, I've got you riled up. Yep. Royal Enfield. Same bullshit. They've got the the Himalayan. Same bullshit. Himalayan. However you say it. The, the great thing that's about like the, the five thousand dollar adventure bike—that's actually the cheapest adventure bike you can buy right now. I the, think the thing I give Royal Enfield and and especially with the Himalayan is it's gonna, it's a price point bike. It's right. that same bullshit. Like, well, it's a little bit it's a little bit different bullshit because it's just ch- cheap, super cheap, made in India motorcycle that like it's got two wheels, a handlebar, maybe some brakes. But it's going to cost you like, what is it? What's the Himalayans? Like five grand, six grand. grand. Yeah. So like you're getting in for a great price. It will fall apart. You will work on it just like you will a Euro, but you're not going to pay the Euro premium. No, God. Like you, you are getting exactly what you're paying for. That's the one thing I like about the Royal Enfield brand. They're they're not pretending like it's a $15,000 hunk of shit. They're like, no, it's a $5,000 thing that you buy and you go beat up on. And then when it breaks, you just fix it real quick and go back to riding it. It's simple. I don't, and that's the thing about the Euro that confuses me. Why the fuck are people paying $17,000 for something that's essentially not changed at all? I mean, yeah, I get it. It's got a digital tack on it now. Well, not really. I mean, they, and, a, and Brembo brakes that kind of work. Yeah, I mean, they, they've slowly upgraded some stuff because they've realized that the market's more sophisticated. Like, there's, there's that tipping point where, like, it's like buying, like, a 1960s, 1970s van again. Really yeah. popular thing right now, right. especially here in Portland. Oh, really God, yeah. trendy. But like, so have, you, much money. have you driven one of those? No, thank you. Those things are just hot pieces of garbage. I have, a, I have a bug from that generation. And while I love that car, <laughs> it is a fucking death trap. And oh. I have a fairly well-functioning one. And you just sit there like, it was built to meet a price point, to do a thing <laughs> at a certain point in time. And we have matured as a society beyond it. And like, while it can be kind of 
hip and cool and throwback. It's like a fanny pack. Like, look at my fanny pack. And you're like, whoa, That's whoa, still- whoa. Don't you bring fanny packs into this. No, I will. I will. You watch your mouth about fanny packs. And the those blade are, sunglasses. Those are coming back. The blade Corey West <laughs> bullshit sunglasses. <laughs> that nonsense. Like, it was cool for a hot minute, but then we're like, um, but you know what's better? This thing we were doing before or the thing that we're doing now. Uh, is the mullet coming back too? People try, man. I think so. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't take those seriously in the space. And, and I think the units reflect that. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I think I appreciate and maybe even respect Royal Enfield more because there are more price points. And they have the same. You park one of those next to a, you know, a Ural. Build quality and fit and finish and all that shit is basically the same. Basically. But you're paying a third for it. I'd probably take the Royal Enfield over a year. All day long. Uh, Like, you could literally buy three of them and have fun with two of your friends. Yeah. And not give a fuck because they're like five grand each. Yeah. So instead of all three of you being on the same Ural, all three of you could have your own Royal Adventure. Yeah. And there's so many Farkles for them. I just saw one a couple of days ago. I had like Rotopack fuel uh, can on there and all kinds of bags and this and that and the other and there's an older dude riding it and I just looked at it and he was so proud of it and he was he's like you know I only paid like $5,500 for this thing brand new I'm like you fucking you go man that's awesome I hope you go and have many adventures <laughs> like um, I just googled how to work on a Ural on oh, sorry I googled I was on YouTube third one down is the Ural as terrible as everyone says from bikes and beards i'm just like that's some clickbait shit right there that's just that's all you need to know about that that's all i need to know <laughs> that's exactly what just go back to my previous argument <laughs> just read that again and i rest my case your honor <laughs> oh, um man. if you had to pick between a ural this is like a like a merry fuck kill yeah merry <laughs> fuck kill a ural try see a hon <laughs> Well, I mean, oh, fuck. <laughs> All right. Mary, fuck you. A Ural, Troy Sihan, <laughs> or one of those three-wheeler Morgans. Oh, wow. What were you going to say before I said Troy Sihan? Oh, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that took over. <laughs> uh, Troy's a horrible lay. How do you know? He's a horrible. Look, look, look into his wife's eyes and see the disappointment. <laughs> I mean, they have multiple children. They have I multiple feel like- children. They are super cute kids. I mean, uh, have you seen the these two people that are making these children? I don't think they can make ugly children. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, uh, I would marry Troy because he's he's be like hanging out with your buddy. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll share it. We'll share a tax <laughs> tax payment. <laughs> uh, uh, Morgan three wheeler or year old? Yeah, I'd fuck a Morgan three wheeler. Yeah, yeah. Two in the front, one in the back. I mean, you definitely fucking kill that Ural. Just murder it. It's just, just, yeah, come on. Absolutely. Uh, I'm so glad Troy lived. (laughs) I don't like the stories where Troy doesn't live. Makes me sad. It just, hmm. It's a good question, though. Like, what, you know, where would you put a Ural on that? Because it's, because that was the thing kind of when they came out, especially with the two-wheel drive model, where it's right. like, this is, this is the well, Especially here in Portland, when it would snow, people would get on their Urals and ride around and be like, ah, fuck you, I'm on a motorcycle, how yeah. are you riding? And that's kind of cool. It's a cool novelty. Right. Until your bike just like explodes on itself. <laughs> I'm out in the snow and it stopped working. Damn it. Yeah. It rusted and fell apart. The thing that cracks me up about that bike is in my mind, it shouldn't break down as often as it does because it's so fucking simple. 
Like, what is breaking on it? It's just simple. I mean, I, I get it. It's build quality and shitty, you know, shitty equipment and bad metal, but it's so simple. I feel like if somebody came along and said, hey, I'm going to build a new modern version of that bike with new modern amenities that'll actually work well and probably still cost you the same amount of money as that one, I don't I, think it would do as well. I do think there is a space. Well, let's see. There, the Euro sh- shows me that there is a desire for sidecars in the marketplace. But do you think it's a desire for sidecars or a desire for nostalgia? I think sidecars. I would I would love a Grom sidecar, for example. That'd be the oh, best pit bike. Yes. Can we do it a monkey sidecar? Yeah. We'll just put the 300 motor in there. Oh. Give me like 25 horse. Oh. Enough for two dudes. Get crazy with it. Hear me out. We buy one and we build one. Totally. You can oh, get kits and they're like, they're way too expensive, but you can totally do it. People are doing it. And I think that's cool and that's interesting. I do think there's a legality thing in the US, especially after the Honda trike killed like 9 billion people. That was so long ago. Let it go. Jesus. Harley's building trikes. Fucking Polaris is making trikes. No one's died. Well, Polaris is making slingshots and people have died, but that's a whole nother animal. Um, <laughs> so... I mean, like, there's something there. Like, there, there is something that, like, in the power sports market where having a passenger, like, a comfortable passenger. Right. And, like, maybe it's a car license. That's that's kind of like the players, I think, got right with the slingshot. In a lot of jurisdictions, it's a, basically a car license. Hmm. Um, they're doing the auto cycle. They're basically lobbying. Yeah, where you still states. have to wear a helmet. You still have to wear a helmet, but you don't need to have a motorcycle endorsement. Interesting. And it's pretty fun for the passenger and the rider. Let's be honest. Like, you're a passenger on a motorcycle. Not a great experience, especially if it's not a touring bike. You're staring at the back of someone's head. Yeah, you're staring at the back of someone's head, conking them on a seat that's designed. Like, I've seen thong swimsuits that have more coverage than this. This is why Goldwings do so well. Yeah, you know, so there's something there. Yep. You know, see, look at side-by-side sales and see how quickly those are, are rising compared to street bikes. And you can understand, like... There's something there that right. like a sidecar could kind of tap into. But this post-World War II knockoff Russian thing, heritage, hipster, like that, that's sailed. That ship has sailed. Mm. I, I haven't seen Ural sales in a while, but I gotta imagine they're going down, not up. I really wonder. I wonder how they're doing. I mean, anything that's built by candlelight in like the <laughs> Russian mountains. That has- that has like reported brownouts every day. Yeah, Not blackouts, like, brownouts. Yeah, just like <laughs> resipsiloquitur is what we would say. The thing speaks for itself. <laughs> it's interesting. The whole exercise that they're doing with that machine is so fascinating to me. The idea that they're like, no, no, this is just heritage. You're buying nostalgia. You're buying this old, old, old design that we're not going to change because it doesn't need to because people keep buying it it's the same recipe over and over again i mean frankly all motorcycles are still more or less the same recipe but there's nothing modern about it and it still sells what does sells mean to you that one person bought them like fuck yeah even if one person buys it it's still to me like somebody somebody out there has sold that many bikes i really wonder Even even at the height of it like maybe a thousand bikes a year maybe maybe if you told me there's more than 10,000 year olds in the U.S., I'd want to see the numbers. So that's the thing, right? And I don't think there's even close to that many. But No, I don't either. The experience that I've, that I've had when I've gone to a dealership to talk about pricing, because a mutual friend of ours bought one several years ago. 
and regretted it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, he had fun with it while it was fine. And then when it stopped being fine, it was like, okay, the fun's out of this thing. And it's a $16,000 pile of shit at this point. But when we went shopping for it and, you know, us being industry people went and like kind of buddy-buddied our way into a dealership and they were like, listen, I get that you're industry, but there are no discounts for you because there are no discounts on these things, period, because they're selling just the way they are. And so that usually to me is a is an indication of okay this is probably doing well enough. No, that there's not really that that much of a discount in there because they it wasn't like the showroom was just full of them. They had the three or four of them sitting in the showroom and and most of them were spoken for already. That's like the forest in the trees though because Ural cannot build them quick enough. Like that's the whole thing. Like yeah, like oh they're 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 spoken for and they're 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 you're not going to get a discount because we're selling them just fine at MSRP. Right. It's like well. Yeah, because the dealer gets 10 a year and you can find 10 people a year. And, and at the height of it, because that's kind of, I wouldn't say that was the height, but that was still kind of a hot thing. Right. You can, you can, especially in Portland, you can talk 10 fucking idiots into buying a Ural and be like, oh, it's on a waiting list. Oh, oh, okay. Now I really want it. I mean, yeah, we are the, the old Volkswagen. You know, it's not like they're selling hundreds and hundreds and thousands of units here. It's like, no, we're, we're getting like 10 a year. So like, yeah, I can still like, I'm not going to deal on it because I only have to sell 10. It's not like I'm getting channel stuffed with 50 of them in a market that probably only has 12 buyers. Right. But if you only have 10 bikes for 12 buyers, now you can charge premium. Yeah. I don't think, I think that's a, that's a motorcycle that was fueled by forums and blog posts. And then once reality set in, we started realizing like, oh, it's the same thing with like all these hipsters that bought, it's Honda not CB Euros, by the way. Every time I see like a Euro Club thing happening, it's a lot of like I would say people in their fifties and older. That's because those are the actual only people that can actually afford them. But it's the hipsters yep. that are driving it as being like trendy. Oh, okay. But it's Fair that enough. same thing that we're like, oh, I bought a Honda CB three fifty and it's a cafe racer, and you're like, cool. But then my bike broke down because it's a Honda CB three fifty cafe racer yeah, that I God built in my ago. garage. So, <laughs> like, I, like how many times have you seen like one of those things just fall apart in the street? And I was like, okay, like, did that person become a motorcyclist or did they just go like, man, my, my cool, like, shoe thing right. fell apart in the middle of the street. This, so I just stopped doing this it. This accessory that I have. This that accessory looks really that cool. I have yeah, that yeah. was cool for like a hot minute. And now it's like turtleneck sweaters. <laughs> uh, it's actually interesting. You, you, we're having this conversation where I was having a, a conversation with a, a dear motorcycle industry friend. And he just bought, for the first time in a long time, he just bought himself a modern motorcycle. He bought a KTM 890R Adventure. And he he put it perfectly he's like i'm at a point in my life where i want to have a bike that i can always just fire up and go do the thing with and this is someone that builds motorcycles and has you know all kinds of really cool old school motorcycles in his garage but even he's at a point in his life where he's like i just want to be able to step up to this thing put on my gear hit the starter and go do the thing and come back and not have to think twice about what it's going to do there is definitely a little bit of magic to that because even people that are super nostalgic and they love the old school stuff and they want to have the Danner, you know, shoes and the tight jeans and the cool old CB350, they still, I mean, if they're real motorcyclists, they want to ride all the time anyways. They want to have something that they can just walk up to, fire it up and go do the ride. Totally. Which is probably why companies like Royal Enfield and Triumph are still building these old nostalgic looking things, but at least they've made them semi-modern where you can fire them up and ride them. Triumph has, not Royal Enfield. That's true, Triumph has. Um, and you could see it even Ducati kind of saw that and they were like yeah let's make the scrambler everybody wants this old school looking bike mm-hmm. but let's make it modern and give it you know inverted forks and you know cornering ABS cornering ABS yeah 
Um, so I, I, for one, like the nostalgic look, but you know, as a 42 year old guy who works 70 hours a week, I just want to fire the thing up and go ride it. I don't have the patience for that project vehicle. I'm, I'm way past that. Yeah. There's a certain romanticism of like being able to work on your vehicle and that heritage thing. And it's the same thing with people that drive like old trucks. I'm like, I get it, but it, there's also a pragmatic point of view where it's just like, one, not everyone can work on their old truck. And two, right. like, you know what I really like on a hot day? AC. Air conditioning. Oh, so nice. Anti-lock brakes on it when it's raining. <laughs> you know, airbags when I'm crashing. Traction control. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like, like there's something to be said about the progress that we've made. And the made. thing of it is, it's not like you're saving money when you're buying these older things. They've gained some stupid reason value, or COVID tax or whatever you want to call it. But like, you go on, like, bring a trailer and you see some dude selling a... 1970-something Chevy truck for like $50,000. Like Wagoneers. Get the, yeah, get the fuck out of here, Look man. I'll go buy my Tacoma. Wagoneers. That's funny. Jeep Wagoneers are going for six figures. They yeah. are like clean, low mileage. Not even like super low mileage, but like 40,000 miles. I think it's those, it's those old Broncos, those like old school Broncos. They're they're all in six-figure category stupid. now. I don't understand it. I mean, I do understand it. I just don't necessarily for my lifestyle and my budget, I don't get it. If I had the money to buy a six-figure vehicle... I personally would probably go buy something that's more modern they can handle it. But boy, the power of nostalgia is crazy. And it grabs people and makes them buy old Broncos or Urals or Royal Enfields. Well, it's that same thing. It's this is like a bad Nicolas Cage <laughs> reference. But like aren't all Nicolas Cage references like you show up in a Ferrari and you're a douchebag. Mm-hmm. You show up in a Shelby GT five hundred, well then you're a connoisseur. Like you show up with your hundred thousand dollar whatever your your land rover right your um ferrari i'm ferrari's probably not going to get you for 100k 90k but like maserati (laughs) or whatever it is like you're gonna get you're gonna get labeled as a douchebag that's not cool yeah you're trying to certain circles especially you show up in your wagon you show up your wagon here in portland wow dude fucking rad yeah it's the wood paling bro yeah they don't know you spent 90k on it it's the same thing with the with the adventure vans where it's like yeah, oh, yeah. like hey douchebag like what's, what's there's going definitely on? An, there's definitely an optical thing i mean I, I for for a short period had a porsche under me for like two weeks and the neighbors looked at me like i was king dingling even though it was a you know i don't know how old is this 18 19 year old car and then i ended up buying the tacoma which cost the same if not more than that porsche and everybody doesn't they don't even look at it it's just another truck it's a very it's it's an optics thing yeah it's a brand thing it's a there's there's a class warfare thing especially in portland portland's got a huge class warfare thing going on so it's it's interesting um cool that wasn't anything i'd planned to talk about but that was like our rabbit holes we could we could just call it pack it in now and call it hold on i want to talk about one one thing (laughs) i mean you've talked about it once before but our the greatest of all time the goat the goat uh just today the goatiest of them all just um before we recorded this show valentino rossi announces his retirement will happen at the end of the season yep how you Uh, feel uh about fucking time i feel the same way but i'm still a little bit sad about it like i knew the day was coming and i've always wanted it to come before he gets hurt yeah but i'm still like oh man the name the guy the the thing that i'm used to seeing every time i watch gp is not going to be there anymore after the season the problem is he stayed at the party too long like he needed to go 
but there goes my drinking game. He Every time they say 42-year-old Valentino Rossi, I don't get to drink anymore. He should have stayed at Yamaha instead of going to Ducati. He should have stayed there for another year or two and then retire. Yep. That should have been it. That yep. should have been the career. He probably would have gotten maybe a 10th championship. Maybe. Lorenzo was pretty strong. Casey Stoner was... Well, you know, the Italian, one, the Italian had the draw of the Italian brand. I, I get, get it. it. I get it. And there's a little bit of like, you know, what if I didn't try it kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. But after that, especially those those years at Ducati were so dark that it's just like, yeah, I stopped caring about you. Like, I was kind of a Rossi fan. I've but now I'm been. just like, it's kind of, I've moved on. <laughs> I started, like, I became You're like so a, fickle, I became a Davi fan. I became, a, uh, I wouldn't say I became a Marquez fan, but like a, an Aspargaro fan. Um, you know, there's other riders where I'm like, yeah, like, it's just, it's not fun, like, really hoping that, like, you might get on the podium. Right, right. So I'm glad that he's finally getting it done. The rumors he's going to go race GT3 cars. Um, huh. So I mean, he's got he's got Camp Rossi, and you know he's got his team in MotoGP. Like he'll he'll still be around. He'll be around. Uh, you'll probably still see him in the paddock every now and then. He, he was he was definitely and is you know a class act. The guy the guy did a. I think he was awesome to be around. He he brought a. And for someone like me, he's he Valentino Rossi and I are one day apart in our birthdays. Um, so I sort of grew up watching, you know, someone my own age come up, and it was really fun to kind of follow that for for the twenty six seasons that he raced. Yeah. So there's that again, going back to nostalgia, right? It's it like it, cool memories, cool ups and downs to you know kind of have with one of your heroes. So I'm glad. I'm glad that he's retiring. It, like you said perfectly, it's about fucking time. I'm a little bit sad just to not have that name around anymore, but I'm. I'm. I think it's time. Let's he's, move on. He is the goat in my mind, though. Absolutely. Like people talk about Marquez, people talk about uh, Agostini. I look at Rossi and I look at how long he stayed at the pointy end of it, how many races he won, yep. and who he won them against. I think Marquez has the possibility of surpassing Rossi. But it's too early in his career. Yeah. Talk to me in 10 years. Yes. Is Marquez still going at the pace that Rossi went? You know, that into that half of his, uh, latter half of his career. Mm -hmm. Then we can start talking about Marquez being greatest of all time. Marquez is an amazing talent. Absolutely. But, you know, Rossi, when he was Marquez's age, was an amazing talent too. And we forget that sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, it, yeah, it's sad from that perspective. Um, I mean, I've said it. I've said it for two, three years now. I wish he would retire before he got hurt. I, I was, I always feared that he would go out there and try to dice it with the younger riders, and something would happen. And I was worried about that. I was worried that he was going to be way out of his league, and and he would push it, and then the demise would happen. And that's not what I ever wanted to see for him. So from that perspective, hats off to him. He did the right thing. He he he's uh he's going to be fine. That for me is that's that's why I know he's the goat. Right. Because he got all these nine world championships and never really risked his health, never really had one of those injuries that like you're sitting there worrying about. Like Danny Pedrosa was like the exact opposite of this, right. just collarbone after collarbone after collarbone. World champion level rider probably would be world champion if he wasn't an Alpine Stars rider, hmm. in my opinion. So, you know. That sucks. Sucks for your, sucks for you, Danny. But I look at how much Marquez has to risk to to do what Rossi did in his prime, mm -hmm. and Rossi didn't have to risk it 
back then. He had enough reserve in the bank. He had enough margin for error that he wasn't risking it like Marquez is. He wasn't crashing on his elbow, saving it on his elbow every race, every lap. Right. And then I look at someone like Marquez and it's just like, it's amazing that you can do that. That is, that is an amazing thing that you are capable of doing on two wheels. Right. Over an infinite timeline, that catches up to you, though. Yes. And we saw that just recently with the shoulder and the arm thing, where it's right. like, that was almost career-ending. You got lucky. That almost ended your career. You basically took an entire season off, and you're still kind of bouncing back. We'll see this weekend. Uh, I mean, before this podcast probably gets out, we'll know if Mark Marquez has kind of bounced back now at Austria. But you got to think, like, him doing that to himself again is totally in the cards still, especially if he's lost a step and he has to push it right. and risk it a little bit more just to stay competitive now, especially that Quattraro. I don't know what the fuck's going off my Vinales, but you know, <laughs> like if he ever gets out of his head or, you know, one of these other up and comers, you know, is nipping at his heels, he'll, he might have to risk it again. He might mm-hmm. have to push that boundary again, have another injury. And then we're talking about like, Oh wow, he was so great. It's a shame that he didn't get to do five more seasons. Yeah. And that's, it's, that's, it's a shame. He lost that leg to the tiger shark. I feel like there's a lot of people who have that same thought, right? Cause he can be the greatest, but I think he's pushing so hard so often that i mean like you said it 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 already caught uh, caught up with him once and it may do it again i hope it doesn't i really truly i I don't ever want to see someone suffer but if you keep pushing it at some point it'll catch up with you it's just it's just how it works that's life true yeah and truthfully this is really like marquez's second chance because he had a pretty terrible eye injury while he was in moto two that's right i remember that and there's a lot of talk that like he could be blind in his left eye um, mm-hmm. so he's, he's kind of escaped a couple times now and you're like, dude, like you only get to roll that dice so many times, right? Like that's not a, the probabilities aren't in your favor. Just roll that dial to 10. You don't have to be at 11. Yeah. So <laughs> good for Rossi next chapter. Um, yeah, I'm super curious to see what he does next. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think his name will always be very relevant in our world. And so I'm really curious to see what's next for Valentino Rossi. So thanks for all the thanks for all the entertainment and all that amazing riding and racing and uh, keeping us on the edge of our seats for so many years. I, I dig it. I so, appreciate it. Sorry, I stepped on your foot when it was broken. Yeah, don't at my first at my first MotoGP race to, as a reporter. I, the, that you got invited again is amazing to me. Never been to MotoGP race as a spectator. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> Only as a speaking of which, as October's coming up. We better figure it out. I, I honestly don't think that's going to happen. Really? I really Wait, don't. You don't think like you're going, or you don't think it's going to happen in Texas? I don't think it's going to happen in Texas. Really? One, Europeans can't get here. Ah. Uh, two, uh, Austin just went into stage five COVID uh, restrictions. A lot of people who are not vaccinated and they are dying by the truckloads. Yeah, it's um. It's really bad news bears, especially in that neck of the woods. Um, so, you know, I, I think by October time, the situation there will be better. We may or may not be allowing vaccinated Europeans into the country. Right. Um, without like crazy restrictions and quarantines. But the time to make that decision is going to be in the next three to four weeks. Wow. Okay. So, the real question is, will that situation have changed in the next three or four weeks? And I don't think so. So we'll basically know more or less by September, let's say. I would say 
before like a month prior. Yeah, they'll probably like first of September or maybe even in August make a decision. Yeah. Because they've got a lot of different MotoGP has a lot of different contingency plans. There was talk of having two races in Austin. Wow. Um, you know, if they can get in, they might as well because like there's some issues getting into Malaysia. There might be I, I think Australia is is definitely not happening now. There could be, you know, it's just like once they get out of Europe, things start getting weird and the logistics mm-hmm. start getting expensive. And you have to understand MotoGP pays for a lot of the logistics of going abroad. So like for them, if they're like, if we just race in Europe, we save a shit ton of money. <laughs> Carmelo Esbaleta is like an accountant by trade. So do we you know want to spend getting the made. money to go to the U.S. and have all 20 spectators show up? Yeah. So. I really don't think it's happening. I, I have made no movements to book tickets. I haven't either. To That's, find I'm, I'm waiting. Hospitality. I'm, waiting. I'm literally going to wait till the end of this month to see what happens. If it happens, then cool. We definitely have a place to stay. I'm not worried about that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I haven't bought my ticket yet. Yeah. Uh, I was going to talk about the new KTM RC390. That's kind of coming out for 2022 since there's some leaked photos. But I'm over it. Just go to Asphalt and Rubber, look at them, and, <laughs> and and read the story. Everything everything you need to know is in the story. It's it's better. It's it's like a little bit better. It's like they took the bike and tweaked it a little bit and made it slightly better. I do like the look of it. I like the look. I like the look of it too. I, you know, we got better. some good. We got some good Both and Spy info on this. Like they made some good, meaningful changes. They look kind of left some stuff wanting i think i think some i think the hope was more motor internal goodness would occur and i think ktm at the end of the day kind of was like "Eh, it cost too much money so same motor not the same but they could have done more to make it better Hmm. especially like build quality metals and stuff but but it's a price point bike it is a price point bike so yeah yeah you know, as long as the engine doesn't blow up. Well, some might do that. They yeah. have a tendency to do that. <laughs> Especially on a racetrack. It's a racetrack. I was going to say, usually on a racetrack. Usually on a racetrack. But again, it's not really, I don't think it was built to be a race bike. It was built to be a... Eh, look at that thing. Tell me it wasn't built to be a race bike. <laughs> I mean, they, it's a ready to race. Does it say ready to race on it? Because that's... Yeah. <laughs> if it says ready to race on it, it better be ready yeah, to race. Yeah, it better be ready to race. Um, bu- 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 let's get out of the show. I got no A&R Pro signups that I know of. I did see some signups, though. So oh. if you, if I owe you a shout-out, send us an email at uh, webrapdoc at gmail.com. Yeah. Be like, so, yo, mofos, shout me out. Shout me out. Shout, shout, let it all out. There's some there I'm like, eh, it looks like it could have been, but maybe they don't want a shout-out, so that's fine. Maybe. Maybe some people just want to be anonymously reading your goddamn content. I like that. I'm all I'm about fine it. with that, too. Yeah. But, you know, people like to have a little, little nudge, nudge, wink, wink, what's up? What's the worst that can happen? You become like an ongoing joke like Corey West? Excuse me. Like Corey just, West is not a joke. He's very serious. He has uh, ginger hair. Did I just make a joke about Corey West? <laughs> <laughs> Love thine friends, Jensen. <laughs> Listen, people. Follow us on Instagram at BrapTalk. Twitter at WeBrapTalk. Email us. Send us a joke. I want to know your uh, your best dad joke. WeBrapTalk at gmail.com. Jensen loves those. He's just shaking his head up and down to me, not sideways. He's definitely shaking his head sideways. Um, just don't call me. Give give Jensen <laughs> uh, you know, a little shout out. Wish him, wish him well in his upcoming surgery. 
I definitely apologize if I get on social I'm media so and say obnoxious what you do. things. I'm super excited about it. <laughs> That's the morphine talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and be careful walking around motorcycles. They might fall down and take a chunk of your knee out. And that sucks. And so, when you're lifting them with your back, not yeah, your legs. Definitely don't lift them with your back when you have a broken <laughs> shoulder. Use those legs. Those oh, big yeah. old manly muscular legs of yours. It's so They're so thick and moosey. It's like a moose. Mr. Muscly Arm. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so make your choices. Safety third. Get the fuck out of here. Good talk. See you out there. Bye. Bye. This is a weekly podcast. We discuss... My mouth was so moist. I had to... <laughs> moist. I couldn't work around it. <laughs>